Amen. All right. Robert, Carly, you guys here? Did you guys get it right? Okay, anyway, that might make sense in a second. But uh, I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but as Mario mentioned, uh, uh, the high school and junior high, they went to Mount Charleston last week. You guys remember that? Okay, well, apparently, unfortunately, uh, with all those hauling around with the kids last week, their car broke down. Right, guys? Just work with me, okay? But anyway, uh, but anyway, and so, so anyway, they decided to uh, get away from it all. You know, the car broke down. That's kind of a bummer of a news. And, and, you know, really do it up. So Carly and Robert, they got all dressed up, and they had to obviously phone for a cab because the car's in the shop, right? And anyway, they're getting ready to leave, and, and they, they uh, covered up their parakeet, and they, they turned on the nightlight. They put their cat outside. Now, one thing you got to know is Robert and Carly, they're big-time pet lovers, right? We can at least agree on that, right? So, so they covered the parakeet, put the cat outside, right, for the night. And, and right after that, the taxi cab driver, he arrived, and, and so they opened up their front door to leave. But all of a sudden, uh, they opened up that front door, and the, car, the cat scoots right back into the house. Well, they didn't want their cat shut in the house while they were gone because the cat's always trying to get the parakeet, right? So Carly, she gets, uh, uh, goes to the taxi while Robert, he goes back inside the house to get the, car, uh, the cat. But the cat, it runs upstairs, so now Robert's in hot pursuit of upstairs, right? Well, meanwhile, Carly, she doesn't want the taxi cab driver knowing that the house is going to be empty all night. So she fibs a little bit, Mm-mm. right? And uh, so see, what she says is she, she says, hey, her husband, uh, she says, uh, is going to be out just soon. He, he went upstairs to say goodbye to my mother, yeah. to the taxi cab driver. And so a few minutes later, Robert, he makes it back into the cab. He hops in. He says, hey, honey, I'm so sorry it took so long. And uh, the taxi cab driver, he pulls out, starts going down the road there. And then he continues. He goes, man, that stupid old hag. That stupid old hag, she was hiding under the bed. Yeah, but that's all right. I, 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 in fact, I, got a, I had to poke her with a coat hanger just to get her to come out. And then I had to wrap her in a blanket to keep her from scratching me. Uh, but that's okay. It still worked. I, I just hauled her big behind downstairs, and I threw her in the backyard. And that's right, the taxi cab driver smashed into another car and so ended their wonderful evening. <laughs> How many guys would say that Robin Carly should have just stayed home? You know what I'm saying? Just stay home that night. You know, do, do something different with your car repair difficulties. But uh, it, what, what was the problem? It, the, the whole thing turned into a total wreck, right? Now, folks, once again, I can't think of a better analogy uh, than what's going on today, okay? Unfortunately, many of the lost people of the world, they're, if you will, riding around with Christians, Right? Riding around with Christians today, and what's happening is, guess what? We're telling the fib. We're giving them a different impression of who God really is. We're acting like practical atheists. And it's the same thing. It's, it's a shocking encounter. It makes a wreck of a witness for Jesus, okay? Because we continue to act like practical atheists. So we say we know who God is, right? But half the time with our lips and our lives, we're giving a different impression. We're acting like we don't even know uh, that God's there. And the problem is it just isn't just keeping us from growing in our walk with God. It keeps other people from believing in God, okay? So to avoid this irony of you and I as Christians living like these practical atheists by not knowing who God is, we're going to continue our study on the character of God. Now, we've already seen the first thing about God. He's what? Hello, he's real. Okay, we're here for a real reason. The second thing is God, Jesus died on the cross for what? He's personal. He's intimate. A personal, loving relationship with God, the creator of the universe. The third thing, hello, God is what? He's wise. He knows it all. He never gets it wrong. And so why would you go anywhere else when you need wisdom? Anybody need wisdom once in a while? All right, the rest of your line. Praise God you're here. Okay, yeah, that's true. The fourth thing, hello, God is sovereign. He's in control of all things, and he's so powerful, he will turn all things around together for good for those who love him. Do you love him? That's a promise from our sovereign, wonderful God. The fifth thing, hello, he is powerful. There's just some things in life that God can't take care of. Wrong answer. He can do anything he wants. He can supply any need he wants. It's just awesome. It's incredible. He's got the power to save anybody he wants. I mean, it's just amazing. We saw there. And the last two times we saw the jaw dropper is the sixth thing. God is what? He is holy. He is holy. He is holy. It's the only attribute of a God mentioned in the scripture three different times in a row for emphasis. Okay? And it's not just important. We need to get equipped on this topic because I believe we, the American church, have totally forgotten this attribute of God, his holiness. And so we began to see that if you want to understand God's holiness, and we should, and some of the best ways to do that is simply look at the reaction of people. Remember that? When they encountered the actual holy presence of God, ah, right? That's what the Bible says, right? And then uh, we also saw last time the removal of people, okay? And there we saw the removal of Nadab and Abihu, Achan, Uzzah, and yes, even in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira. And that showed us that God's not just holy, but God is so holy, he has a what? He has a zero tolerance for sin. What's holy mean? Without sin, 
God has a zero tolerance for sin. Listen, he will not put up with the slightest bit of compromise, a small deviation from his will, not even what we would call a teensy, weensy, little, white, whatever color you want to call it, lie. Those people were removed from his presence just like that because of those compromises, okay? And you're, how many guys would say that's, that's kind of serious? That's a serious truth in the scripture, right? And it's just like God, folks. What we're going to now see today is, listen, God isn't just holy, holy, holy. And it's not just a serious issue with the reaction of people and removal of people from his holy presence when they dare compromise, okay, and play with sin. But he is loving. And listen, he wants to make sure we get this truth, right? So he gives us reminders over the scripture. We have no excuse for being caught off guard about this truth about God's holiness. And we're going to take a look over the next several weeks at those reminders he gives us so we don't miss this fact about God's holiness, okay? And that's what we're going to see, folks, is the reminders for God's people. And the first reminder that we see that God is trying to tell us, here's the dilemma, he is holy, we are not, okay, is in this wonderful analogy here with the tabernacle. Okay, the tabernacle basically, as you can see, that's depicted there in the photo, was the traveling temple, okay? Later, during Solomon's time, it got to be stable, but in the beginning, after the exodus, after being led out of Egypt, typifying of sin, there was the traveling tabernacle, okay? Let's go to that account there in Exodus 25. How is God trying to teach us that he is holy, we are not, and we need somebody to save us from this dilemma? Let's take a look there. Exodus 25, you find Genesis, what do you do? Take it right there. Exodus 25. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9. Exodus 25, verses 1 through 9. Okay? And uh, take a look at this traveling tabernacle thing. What was going on with this thing? Okay? And we're going to see a theme as you turn there. We're going to see a constant theme, okay, from God. As he says repeatedly when he starts mentioning these articles, he, he says over and over again, make sure you do it exactly like I tell you. Over and over again, make sure you do it exactly to the pattern I set, but over and over again. Why? Because we're going to see today, there's much more going on than meets the eye. God has given us a reminder. He is holy. We are not even for today, okay? Exodus 25, verse 1 through 9, as we did and started last week. Let's go ahead and stand together as we read the holy word of God. Let's take a look there. Uh, verse 1 says there, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring in an offering. And you're to receive the offering uh, for me, okay, he says, from each man whose heart prompts him to give. And these are the offerings you are to receive from them, okay, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and, and scarlet yarn, uh, fine linen, uh, listen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed uh, red, and hides of what? Sea cows. That's cool. <laughs> Not sea chickens, Tom. Am I the only one that notes these things? Apparently so. Let's move on. Sea cows, all right, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastplate. Okay, the piece. And then have them make a what? Sanctuary for me, God. Listen to this. And I will what? I, God, will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. You may be seated. But as we can see there, in this text, this is what blows me away. We see these amazing orders from God. He says, basically, make this traveling sanctuary, okay? And it's special. That's why you have special gems. He didn't say, just use some plastic and cardboard and grab a burlap sack on the way. No, this is special, man. This is because God is special, right? Okay? He says, make it with the special gems, fine linen, goat hair, even the hide of a sea cow. That's incredible. Okay? And you might be thinking, okay, so, so what, Pastor Billy? What did you do, Don? Okay, so, so what do we have? We have God says, build basically a giant tent, uh, this thing made out of weird animal skins. So what? What's the big deal with this text? Well, folks, here's what's going on. There's much more going on than meets the eye. God, first of all, said to make this. Why? Just because they had nothing to do? They were bored out in the desert? What was the premise? What did he say? He says, make this for me so I can what? Listen, I can dwell with you. Now, do you have any idea the significance of what that means? God is saying from the get-go, even though we're in this dilemma, he is holy, we are not, we're separated from him, we deserve to die and go to hell, we're under his wrath. He still wants to dwell with his people. God loves his people so much so that he wants not a faraway external religion with them. He wants an actual, intimate, personal relationship with his people. 
okay? But again, that's the dilemma. That's what he wants, but the problem is he is holy, we are not, so we can't have this intimate, personal relationship with him, right? And so here's the issue. God knows that, but we don't. How many guys, when you woke up from bed uh, before you got saved, every day you acknowledged, first thing out of your mouth, man, I'm in a serious dilemma. Uh, God's real, he's holy, and I'm not, and I'm doomed. I better find a savior. How many guys, that just was automatic? You just automatically knew that message, loud and clear wherever you went. No, right? Of course we don't, right? We have to be informed of that. We need to be reminded of that. That's what Christians we should be doing when we're witnessing. And so from the get-go, even in the Old Testament, right after being led out of sin, out of Egypt, if you will, God immediately begins to do this for the people. A supernatural, multidimensional, infinite holy God, he begins to communicate this problem to tiny, finite, unholy human beings. And what does he do? He uses an external teaching tool to get the job done. Uh, the internet wasn't in function back then. Do you guys realize that? Right? There was no libraries to go check into. Right? There was no TV, and you couldn't hear from uh, Tom Brokenclaw or whatever, Walter Concrete or all those other guys. Uh, you couldn't do that. Right? So how's he going to teach them? An external teaching tool, i.e. the tabernacle. The tabernacle, folks, was God's ongoing visual object lesson designed by him to remind us of this problem. That he is holy, that we are not, and we need somebody to save us from that dilemma. Now, can anybody guess who that person is that saves us from this? Jesus is always a safe answer in church services, in case you're wondering. And that is the correct answer. It's Jesus, right? Okay. Now, just to make sure that we know it's Jesus, we don't just get the truth. Hey, God's holy, we're not, we're doomed. He didn't stop there. When you take a look at the tabernacle, God tells us clearly how to fix it. Anybody glad about that? Right? Haven't you seen those commercials? They talk about, you know, the person's going through a, a, their house explodes or something. The guy says, hey, uh, your house has exploded. And they say, okay, well, what are you going to do to fix it? Oh, I'm just here to report that the house has exploded. I don't know, whatever that commercial is. And it's supposed to be that other one, LifeLock. We fixed the whole thing for you. Blah, blah, blah. Right? Aren't you glad that God didn't say, hey, boy, you guys in trouble. You're under my wrath. I'm holy or not. All right, see you later. <laughs> Aren't you glad that he tells us how to fix it? That's what we're going to see in the tabernacle, right? But oftentimes we don't do our homework. In fact, th this is the portions of the scriptures, especially when you get into Numbers and Leviticus, man. We just like, oh man, who's got some coffee? <laughs> we start whipping through and say, man, okay, okay. How many cubics? How many? Inside this is a fantastic reminder from God. He's holy. We're not. Praise God. Jesus fixes it for us, okay? And that's what we're going to see today with different clues from that. Now, the first clue reminds us that we need Jesus to get to God, to fix the dilemma he's holding we are not in the tabernacle, is with the gate, okay? Let's take a look at that text there. Uh, Exodus 27, verse 9 and 16. Then God says there, uh, make a courtyard for the tabernacle, as you can see depicted there, okay? Enclosed with curtains made from fine linen, Okay, for the entrance to the courtyard, though, make a curtain that is 30 feet long, fashion it with fine linen and decorate it with beautiful embroidery and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. Notice how it's different than the rest. It stands out. Okay, and it will be attached to four posts that fit it into four bases. Okay, so basically you can see it depicted there, this big giant uh, perimeter of white. Okay, and yet there was this one little section there in the front. Okay, that was different. It was eye popping. Okay, now let's explain what was going on here. The first thing that the Israelites saw and were told to do, God says, first of all, con listen, construct a perimeter. And not just a perimeter, but construct a perimeter of fine white linen. Why? Because that represents what? The holiness of God. Okay, and it also revealed, listen, our separation from God. You couldn't go straight into, we'll get to that in a second, the most holy place, the holy of holies. Okay, you can just walk in, all of a sudden you, you're wanting to approach God, but what's the first thing you encounter? Whoa, there's this perimeter. I can't just access it. There's a whole giant perimeter around it, and it's white. God is holy. I am not, I'm separated from it. Do you see what he's doing? He's giving a visual lesson there. Now, but that wasn't the only thing, okay? Uh, God is revealing the separation. He's on the inside. The people are on the outside. But the second thing they were told to do is to construct a what? Here's where the good news comes in. Construct a gate, okay? And make it noticeable so it doesn't blend in. So nobody's, no excuse. Oh, I guess there's no way in. I'm doomed. Oh. Hey, what's this thing? This is different from the rest. 
What is this? This is the gate, okay? And it revealed God's desire for fellowship, okay? And this is where we're beginning. Ultimately, the actual, real, holy presence of God is going to be at the very top there, okay, in the Ark of the Covenant. We're going to get there, but we're going to go on a journey chronologically in these articles that shows us the truth that God is holy, we are not, and we need somebody to save us from that. But here's the perimeter. You can't just approach God. In fact, you can't approach God to any other way. You can't hop a fence over here. You can't go in there. And isn't that the same thing today? Is there many ways to heaven? Can you get there this route? Can you go there through Buddhism? How about Mormonism? How about Catholicism? Can you go through workspace? How about self-help and secular psychology? How about shaman? There's only one way in. Sound familiar? There's only one way in today uh, through Jesus, okay? Now, before I get to that, okay, but that's where we're at. We're on the outside, but the good news is there seems to be a way in. There seems to be a way in. And to me, that's just what's absolutely mind-blowing. Did you realize that God did not have to make a gate? Did you realize God in his holiness could have kept the whole perimeter white and shut us out and been totally just and said, here's the news. I'm holy, you're not, you're doomed. And could have been totally justified after all the way. But he made a gate, okay? He made an entrance showing his desire for a relationship, and so that's the issue. Okay, so that's the good news. There's a way in, but here's our dilemma. How are unholy creatures, you and I, cut off from God because of our sin? How are we going to get through that gate? How can we break through this barrier that's separating us from God and have fellowship with him? The safe answer is Jesus, you're catching on. Uh, hopefully you catch on better as we go. Uh, and, and of all verbiages for Jesus to use, why do you think he says this, folks? He's going back to the, t- the tabernacle. John 10, verse 9, what's Jesus say? I am the gate. I am the gate. Well, how do you get in? Who do you go through? Jesus, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out, and he will find pasture. Not by chance that Jesus is reiterating that, okay? Obviously, he knows about the uh, tabernacle and things. But what we see here is God is trying to teach us something. He's trying to get us a reminder, okay, that he is holy, that we are not, that he's made a gateway, and Jesus specifically is that gateway. He is the only way in to a relationship with God. How many guys would say that that is so generous, so cool, so fantastic of God that he'd even let that be known and we're just getting started the second clue is what's called the altar of sacrifice the altar of sacrifice let's take a look at that that's the next thing that you encounter there and exodus 27 verse 1 and 8 use an acacia wood make a square altar as you can see depicted there seven and a half feet wide seven and a half feet long and four and a half feet high okay this is where they would uh sacrifice with fire uh things the altar must be hollow made from planks there and be careful to build it just as you were shown on the mountain and again he reiterates make sure you do it i don't care if you think it's goofy i don't think if you agree with it i don't care if you got to go out of your way i don't care if it's not easy to build do it anyway why because there's a lot more going on than meets the eye okay but the next thing that you encounter here in this outer court as it was called once you made it into the gate okay was a sacrificial altar listen it was a massive as you saw a massive wooden box that served one purpose and one purpose only it wasn't just to burn stuff it wasn't the priest in there having a barbecue as cool as that is for guys it was to offer listen offer up not even just a victim listen it was an innocent victim it was to offer up an innocent victim i.e an animal they used back then for the what for the forgiveness of guilty sinful behavior and this showed us folks that if we're going to continue to approach god to make it to the ultimate goal the actual holy presence of god to have that beautiful intimate relationship with him to approach his holy throne so to speak we need to have something innocent something without sin to pay the price in our place and again let's take a look at where we're at here we made it through the gate who's the gate Jesus, praise God, there's one way in. Praise God, there's any way in. He's the only way in. Praise God, there's a way in through Jesus. Now, that's where we're at right now. The very next thing in God's order you would encounter is this altar of sacrifice, okay? But that's the dilemma, right? So the pitch is clear. God's holy, we're not. Praise God, we made it in through the gate through Jesus, okay? But the question is this. Where are unholy, guilty creatures going to get not just a sacrifice, 
Where are we going to get an innocent sacrifice? Number one, none of us are. And number two, the Bible says the blood of animals could never really take away sin. It was symbolic. How are we going to get it? Where's that innocent sacrifice going to come from? Thank you. You're finally catching on. Took a couple times, but we're getting there. And this is why we see this in the Bible. Again, nothing's by chance. Not one jot, not one tittle in the scripture. Romans chapter 3, verse 25. For God sent Jesus to what? Take the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger or wrath against us. We are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood, what? Sacrificing his life for us. Very interesting. We're going right down the list. God is trying to teach us one. I'm telling you, I, I know it sounds redundant, but this is what blows me away. God did not have to tell us any of this stuff. He didn't have to tell us the problem. He didn't have to make a way to fix it. And he didn't have to tell us how to fix it. He could have nuked us, nuked the whole planet, and started all over. And he goes to great detail. He's showing us that he is holy, we are not, and specifically, so you don't miss the message, Woo! good news, Jesus, and Jesus alone, is the innocent sacrifice needed to have a relationship with God. Isn't that wonderful? What a wonderful reminder from God. But we're still, again, just getting started. The third clue, the next thing you see in the outer court there is what's called the labor of cleansing. Okay, Let's take a look at what they would encounter after that altar of sacrifice. Exodus 30, verse 18 through 20. Make a bronze basin with its bronze stand for washing. Okay, Place it between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Why? Because Aaron and his sons, the priests, are to wash their hands and feet in water from it. Why? Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water. Why? So that they will not, what? Die. This isn't just an option. It's just not, you know, that, you know, hey, clean, cleanliness is the next thing to godliness. You know, it's not just that. Hey, good hygiene. Why not you guys have You don't do this, guys? I don't care if you think it's goofy. I don't care what you, you do. this exactly as I tell you. Why? Because there's something more going on that meets the eye. You better wash yourselves. You better cleanse yourselves because you're about to enter into what's called the most holy place. See, now you, the whole time we've been in the outer court and you better wash yourselves clean or you will die. Serious stuff, okay? And that's what we see here. The second thing you encounter now, you get in there, okay, is this labor of cleansing. It's a large water basin you dissolve. The priests had to wash themselves in it or they would die. And this showed us that if we're going to continue to approach a holy God, we need something to cleanse us from all our defilement and our sin. So let's take a recap. Once again, the holy perimeter, that represents God. We are separated from him. Here's the good news. There's one way in and one way only. Praise God, there's even a way. Mm -hmm. And that's through Jesus. Hey, we need a sacrifice. In fact, it's got to be an innocent victim. Hey, that's Jesus too. Hey, wonder of wonders. What's the next? thing you come to this giant water basin and you better get cleansed or you're going to die in the presence of a holy god okay and so so that's what we see here and that's what's going on okay and so the question that's the dilemma so god showed us the picture he gave us the reminder nobody has an excuse to know oh no i didn't know no it's there so how in the world are we going to get this fixed how are unholy sinful creatures going to get something that is sufficient to truly not just get some of this stuff off. we got to get it all off. Who and what is going to be able to cleanse us from sin, especially when the Bible says water can't do it? Even baptism as New Testament Christians, that doesn't save you. It's symbolic. What are we going to do? Who can cleanse us from sin? Hey, we're getting better, praise God, as we go along. Let's take a look. And you wonder why the Bible says this? Are you really kidding, folks? It's not by chance. Hebrews 9, 22 and 14, and according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. How much more then will the blood of who? Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Interesting. It's like when you read the Old Testament and the New Testament and you put it all together. It's like a really profound message from God. For everybody to know. I'm kind of thinking it goes something like this, Tom. Um, God is holy, and we are not. And Jesus, and Jesus is alone. His blood is sufficient to cleanse us from all sin, all defilement. And now you're ready to go into the most holy place. Isn't that fantastic? No excuse for anybody. 
Okay? Now, the fourth clue we're going to see, uh, reminding us, because we still got articles to go, is what was called the table of showbread, and then we're going to double up also the lamb. But let's take a look at what's going on there. Exodus 25, 23, 30, and 31, 37, and 40. Okay? Make a table of acacia wood, as you can see there. Two cubits long, a cubit wide, a cubit and a half high. Okay, put the bread of the presence on this table before me at all times, God says. Then make a lampstand, as you can see there, of pure gold, hammer it out. Then make it seven lamps and set them up on it so that they light the space in front of it. See that you what? Once again, what's he say? Make it according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. Don't get anything wrong. I don't care if you agree with it, disagree with it, whatever. Do it exactly like I tell you. Why? Because, again, there's much more going on. That meets the eye. So in the whole time we've been in this outer court, now you're going into the inner court. You're going into the holy, most holy place, and you see two things right out of the gate. Okay, uh, not that other gate. That's a euphemism, by the way. <laughs> I don't want to confuse you in our chronological order. Uh, but anyway, you enter into the holy place, okay? And it's the second stage, of, if you will, of the tabernacle. And of all things, for God says to put in here, it's not a flat screen TV, right? It's not plumbing, right? He says this, I want you to get this uh, stuff here. I want bread and light. Bread and light? Bread and light? What? Okay, now here's the issue. Back in those days, bread and light, that was some really big deal. Okay, that, that was a big deal. Listen, bread was the staple food at mealtime. Okay, it's used all throughout this scripture. Bread, uh, it, you know, you break bread, we do communion. Bread, bread was thing. It, it, bread represented sustenance, provision, right? And so God has this sustenance, this bread, this provision that's inside there. Now, secondly, uh, light represented not just sustenance, but a literal source of light, okay, a source of light, because if you didn't have light back in those days, especially at night, your life really could be in danger, serious stuff, people come in and rob and whatever, they didn't have electricity like we do today, okay, things of that nature, so the bread and light in the tabernacle now showed us that if we're going to have a relationship with God, we better have some serious sustenance, we better have a source of life, right, how are we gonna, we're dead in our sins, the scripture, how are we gonna get life, Okay, and let's again take a look at where we're at. Once again, the perimeter represents God. We are separated from him. Praise God, there's a way in. Okay, that's through the gate. That's through Jesus. We've got an innocent sacrifice. His name is Jesus, right? And then we were cleansed from our sins through Jesus. Now we're continuing on. Now we're going into the most holy place. And the first thing you see there is those two articles there. You need bread. You need light. Okay, you need sustenance and you need some source of life uh, to bring you from that. So that's the question. That's the dilemma. It's loud and clear where our unholy creatures going to get a source of life from, especially when bread and light can't do it. Right. Do we come to life when we take the symbolic gesture of communion, breaking the bread? And, and no, it's symbolic. Right. Bread can't save you. Right. So w what are we going to do? Right. We, we flip on the lights. Hey, I'm holy. It doesn't work that way. It's symbolic. So where are we going to get a source of bread and light so that we can come to... Yeah, you preempted it, but I'll still take it. What's the answer? Jesus, right? And of all things for Jesus to say, why do you think he says this? He just randomly picked out an analogy? No, he's going back to the tabernacle. John chapter 6, 51 and 8, 12. I am the living what? bread jesus speaking why of all things did he say that okay that came down from heaven if anyone eats of this bread he will what he'll live forever that's your source of life folks that's your sustenance and when jesus spoke again to the people he says i'm the light of the world whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but he will have the light of life so i think it's pretty clear once again i'm starting to see a pattern here no excuses no, you may not like the news that God is holy. We are not. We're separated from him. We deserve to die and go straight to hell. You're under his wrath. But there's no excuse for you to not know the good news. Jesus is the source of life that we need, that we partake of in faith so that we could have eternal life with God. Absolutely amazing. Let's take a look at one more. 
uh, and then we'll wrap it up. Another, let's double them up there. The fifth clue that we see is with the veil and the Ark of the Covenant. Let's take a look at those passages. Exodus 26, 31, 33, and 25, 10, 18, and 22. Make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. Finely twisted linen with cherubim worked into it by a skilled craftsman. The curtain will separate the what? holy place from the most holy place and then have a chest of acacia wood there two and a half cubits long cubit and a half wide a cubit and a half high and make two cherubim as you can see they're angels with their wings going up top hammered gold at the ends of the cover there as you can see what the light was symbolizing there between the two cherubim of the ark of the testament i god will what god will meet with you right in between that spot where you saw the glowing light his actual holy presence with the Israelites. That's pretty intense. Okay? And so here we see the last thing you encounter before you enter into what was called the Holy of Holies. Right? It was, first of all, there was a veil that separated that. Okay? And then behind that veil was the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of God. Okay? And the veil was huge, right? It wasn't just this little thin thing. Right? Made of crochet. As cool as crochet is for ladies. Backstroke in ministry. No, this thing was huge. I mean, super thick. You're not any, just way beyond a phone book. You ain't ripping it with your This is serious stuff. Serious, serious veil. Man is not going to rip this baby, okay? And it, 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 again, it was the last protective barrier from the actual holy presence of God. Now, the ark, as you saw, of course, represented the actual holy presence of God. And that's why uh, when the priests would move it, they would literally, because you know, this was traveling. When they would go, they had to pack all this stuff up right, and move it until they stopped again, unpack it, right, God wanted to be with his people wherever they went, it was a traveling tabernacle, it wasn't until later in Solomon's time, many centuries later, it became a permanent structure, but God, from the get-go, wanted to travel and be with his people at all times, wherever they went, just like today. We'll get to that in a second. But, but, they, but when they had to pack things up when it came to the ark, okay, uh, the priests, when they would move it, listen, and if you could picture, behind me would be the ark. They would literally walk in backwards, not even looking at it, and then drape it. I, I, I can't even look at this. This is, this is it. This is the final barrier. This represents the actual holy presence of God, okay? And they would do that uh, so they wouldn't look at it and die, okay? And then... Only once a year, and only the high priest once a year, entered into that holy place, the holy of holies, to sprinkle blood on the ark to obtain God's forgiveness for the people. That's what was done there. And again, let's recap one last time. You got the holy perimeter separating. What's the message? God is holy. You're not. You're separated from me. Praise God. The good news starts here. There's a gate. There's a way in. That's through Jesus. Who's the innocent sacrifice? Once again, that's Jesus. Who cleanses us from all of our defilement, our sins? That's Jesus. Now we get to go into the holy place, right? And so who's the light and who's the bread? Right? Jesus, okay? And then now you're right there at the very back end. See the curtain there, the veil? Behind that is the Ark of the Covenant. So here's the issue. Where are unholy creatures going to find, listen, a high priest? Because that's the issue. Only the high priest could go in there. Nobody can go in there all in themselves. You're going to die. Not even a regular priest can go in there. It had to be and could only be the high priest. Where are we going to find a high priest to go through the veil to offer the holy blood sacrifice acceptable to God so that all the people could be forgiven? We can't do it. Oh, that was really lame. As cool as that was, Tom, I'll give you kudos for that. His name is Jesus. Once again, this is what we see in the Gospels and in the book of Hebrews. One little verse in Matthew 27. Do you have any idea how much this must have freaked out the, the, the priests in the temple? Matthew uh, 27, 51, and then Hebrews 10, 19, 21, 22. Matthew 27 first. At that moment when Jesus was raised from the dead, what happened? The temple curtain, the veil, what? Ripped in two from top to bottom. Do you have any idea how much the priesthood must have freaked out? What was the first thing recorded? It's just one verse. How many times have we skipped over this? The first thing that happened after the resurrection of Christ, that huge, thick veil that man couldn't do was ripped, not a little, not halfway, not made a little hole to squeak in from top to bottom. Completely ripped open. What's that mean? God the barrier is gone. God's coming out. God's not confined to a box. We'll get to where did he go in just a second. But isn't that wild? 
He broke the veil. Jesus broke the veil once and for all. He doesn't have to keep doing this once a year. Once for all, it's completely torn from top to bottom. Then there was an earthquake and rocks were split into pieces. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can what? Boldly enter heaven's what? Most holy place. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. And since we have a great high priest, Jesus, listen, let us go right into the presence of God. Do you have any idea how profound that is? We're going into the presence. What, what did he win for us? absolutely mind-blowing. God has shown us something absolutely incredible. How could we ever miss this? He's saying, listen, yes, I am holy. Yes, you are not. But here's the good news. Jesus is the high priest who takes us right into my very holy presence. Hebrews says that we now have access to the very throne room of God to boldly approach him with confidence. Man, being a Christian is boring. I don't know, I'm just, all this, I just got a bunch of do's and don'ts. Wow, isn't this amazing? But there might be a couple of you out there saying, okay, Pastor Bill, that's kind of cool. You know, boy, you whipped it out on the animation. Somebody's still feeding you that bacon or something. I don't know, it's three weeks in a row. And and, and that's kind of neat, you know, neat study. You know, that's, you know, Jesus, the symbolism, you know, and all that stuff. And and that's, you know, but I know that stuff. That's Sunday school stuff. What's the big deal? You better slap that off your mouth. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? If that really is your attitude, listen, it not only shows you don't know all that stuff then apparently. Number two, the big deal is, this shows us, listen, because we're not done. See, oh, we're done with the... The tabernacle, listen, let me explain it before you call me heretic. The tabernacle is still in effect today. I'll get to it in a second. The big deal is this truth shows us not only how to get to heaven through Jesus all the way through to fix the dilemma, God's holy, we're not. Number two, it shows us, Christian, where the tabernacle went. And when you get that, it shows you how to live life here on earth before you get to heaven. Okay, and this is what the Bible says. Christian, do you not know? We have become the temple of God. And that his Holy Spirit is not stuck in a box. He's inside of us now. This is what Paul says. And he, he even says it like that. Like, aren't you guys getting this yet? Are you serious? You don't know this? 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17. Don't you realize that all of you together, church, Christian, are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God is where? He's in us. God will bring to ruin anyone who ruins this temple. For God's temple is What? holy it's always been holy but here's the difference you christian are that temple can i translate that for you we have become the traveling tabernacle we are the traveling tabernacle and that our privileged duty is as we carry around the holy spirit of god we show people there's only one way in it's through jesus And it's his sacrifice that has offered up the innocent victim on our behalf for our crimes against God. He cleanses us from all of our sins as the tabernacle. And the way to get into that wonderful life of God and a relationship is Jesus has become our sustenance and our our life. He gives us eternal life with the the bread and the the light. And and there was separation, but Jesus, he separated and tore that veil in two. and, And he's our high priest now. His blood sprinkled on that once for all cleanses those and makes it acceptable so that through him, now we become his traveling tabernacles and we have direct access to the holy presence of God. You know what I just did? I witnessed. But I witnessed his what? The traveling tabernacle. It's all wrapped up in there. Isn't that wild? Now that's witnessing. But I'll tell you, when you realize, Christian, that God is not afar off, He's not over in Israel inside of a tent structure in a box. He's with you wherever you go as the traveling tabernacle. Now, when you get that, man, your behavior changes like that. Let me give you one analogy. One day, listen, this uh, Christian mother, she visited her son at secular college. And upon entering his dorm room there, 
Uh, her eye swept across the walls of his room, and she noticed that the plastered all over the walls was about a dozen suggestive pictures. Her heart, as a mom, as a Christian, was grieved, but she said nothing to him. Listen. Several days later, though, the mailman delivered a package to the young man, and it was a gift from his mom, and it was a beautifully framed picture of Jesus. So proudly, professing to be a Christian himself, the boy hung the picture of Jesus on the wall right above his desk. But immediately, things began to change. That night before he went to bed, the boy looked over and he saw the picture of Jesus, and, and he removed the pinup picture which hung closest to the picture of Jesus. And then the next day, another picture was consigned to the trash basket. And in fact, day after day, the pictures began to disappear from the walls until finally only one remained. The picture of Jesus. And folks, let me tell you, that boy's behavior changed overnight simply because he was confronted with one holy picture of Jesus. Listen, it got rid of a lot of unholy behavior, did it not? Listen, here's the punchline. We Christians do not have an external picture of Jesus on our walls. Listen, we've got the actual Holy Spirit of God in our hearts. That's what Paul says. Don't you realize? We have become the temple of God. We have become the traveling tabernacles. Now, think of what this means. The same God whose holiness caused people to shut their mouths, fear for their lives, fall flat on their face, suck garbage. He's inside of us now, wherever we go. The, the, the same God whose holiness has a zero tolerance for sin, he instantly removed people from his presence for the slightest bit of compromise, a, a tiny deviation from his will, a teensy-weensy little lie. Where is he? He's inside of us. That means everything we see into this temple he sees everything we listen to we are forcing him to listen to if you will everything we say he he hears it all everywhere we go he's with us everything we do he sees it all good or bad i don't know about you but when we finally get that point that paul's trying to say don't you realize Okay, time to clean house. And you don't need a sermon from me, and I don't need a sermon from somebody else. When we realize that we are the traveling, holy tabernacles of God, it'll clean you up. And you know what the benefit of that is? Certainly for us. But now what are we doing? We're being those holy examples to the lost around us. Who are what? who were still under the illusion, thinking that somehow they can get to heaven on their own. And they need, to re they need to see in us as the traveling tabernacles the message. God is holy, we are not. But here's the good news. As you can see through my holy life, backing up this holy truth by the power of God's Spirit, Jesus is the only way in. The only way in. He's the sacrifice. He'll cleanse you from sin. He gives you eternal life. He becomes your sustenance. He'll shred that veil of separation and he becomes your high priest and he will make you acceptable before God forever and ever and ever. That's why God takes it serious what we do with this temple. That passage is, to me is one of the most abused passages in the New Testament because people read that completely out of context. Don't you realize that God will take, you know, you know, do something bad? If you defile that temple, he'll destroy you. And they think he's talking about food, right? See, you got to start working out. Eat right, because God's going to... Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't take care of yourself. But in the context of our study, what's he talking about? He ain't talking about working out. He's talking about sin. He's talking about the need to be that holy, consistent example. Why? Because our world needs to know this message. There's no excuse. Yes, we saw the reaction of people in his holy presence. Yes, we saw God's removal. But here's just one reminder. We're just getting started. In the scripture, God says, hey, I'm holy. You are not. But here's the good news. I made a way you can enter in. Why? Because the penalty is, you miss out on, you know, 
You're just going to forever be suffering under a poor economic status if you don't accept Christ as your Savior. <laughs> you know? You're just, you know, no, no, you're just going to miss out on this. You no, know? you know what it is? Why was Jesus sacrificed? To save us from the wrath of God. What is the wrath of God? The wrath of God is what we're all under unless we take the way out. The wrath of God continues forever in hell. If you don't want to choose his wonderful grace and take the only way out, praise God, there even is a way out. You will remain under the wrath of God both now and forever. Now, here's my question. I'm not here to get you to doubt your salvation because once we're saved, praise God, we're forever saved. When he cleanses us, he cleanses us forever, right? But as we've talked before in many other studies, you look around the American church today, how many people are coming but they've never really accepted Christ as their Savior. They still think it's by going to church services. And they still think it's by trying to be a good person and clean up their own act. And if that's the case, the wrath of God will be poured out on you. I hope that's none of us here today. There's only one way out. And that's through Jesus. This is not a game. There's only one way to escape his wrath. And that's through Jesus. But will his wrath be poured out on you? We'll close in prayer after this. Someone had to drink the cup of God's wrath. My dear friend, if you are saved here tonight, you are not saved merely because the Romans beat Jesus. You are not saved merely because they nailed him to a tree. If you are saved, you are saved because when he was nailed to that tree, he bore your sin and God the Father crushed his only begotten son. It was God who had to measure out the punishment. It is God who had been offended. It was God's wrath that had been kindled. It is God's justice that had to be poured out. Someone to save a people for God had to interpose and suffer the judgment, the wrath, the justice of God. It is though with one hand God is holding back His justice against this world and with another hand He is pleading for men to come. But one day both hands will be dropped. You know that, don't you? Let me give you another example. Heaven is heaven because God is there. Well, that is, most, that is true. But then the counter is not true. Hell is hell because God's not there. That's not what Scripture teaches. Hell is the wrath of Almighty God. It is His perfect justice revealed against men throughout an eternity that the wrath of God will come in such a way that men will cry out, the great captains and leaders of this world will cry out that the rocks fall upon them to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. Of the Lamb. Of the Lamb. The wrath of God. Well, I just don't believe that. Well, just what you believe doesn't really matter. What does Scripture teach? The sense of being cut off from His favorable presence, of dying without Him. Separation. And then, not just separation, but wrath. Justice had to be poured out. It had to be. Now, it will be poured out on some of you. I'm not a prophet. I have no insight into your heart. But it would be very vain and unwise to suppose that every human being listening to my voice, whether here or via the internet or whatever, is truly a child of God. Wrath will be poured out on some of you throughout an eternity in hell because of the crimes you have committed and will continue to commit throughout all eternity. The raging of your heart against the sovereignty of a good God. Filth, the guilt, the shame before a holy God. The sense of being cut off from His favorable presence, of dying without Him. It will be poured out on some of you, but wrath, 
the wrath of God. It will be poured out on some of you, but wrath. The wrath of God. It will be poured out on some of you, but wrath. The wrath of God. Hell is the wrath of Almighty God. The wrath, the wrath, the wrath of God. The wrath of God. The wrath of God. It will be poured out on some of you. It will be poured out on some of you. insult to injury, but the guy also had uh, stated something similar to another audience, and they started clapping just like that. And he said, I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. I don't know your heart, and I'm not here to freak you out. I would hope that everybody here today is a true born-again Christian. But if you're not, and if you're not sure, you better make sure today. Because the wrath of God, of your own doing, because you spurned his holy way out through Jesus, will be poured out on you. Don't stay in that state for one second. Call upon the name of Jesus Christ. Acknowledge what God is teaching us here today in the tabernacle. He's holy, we're not. But I take the one way in through Jesus. It's his sacrifice. It's his blood that cleanses me. He's the light of life. He's my sustenance. He's the only one that can get rid of this veil of separation. He is my high priest in faith, and he will cleanse me and make me acceptable and free me from the wrath of God. Do it today. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. 
you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the ten commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that? right now well this has been pastor billy crone of sunrise baptist church and and get a life ministries and if there's anything that we can do for you uh please don't hesitate uh to contact us uh our number our information will uh come up here on the screen shortly and uh, uh if there's anything we could do for you please don't hesitate to let us know uh thank you for uh joining us and uh remember i hope to see you in heaven god bless